to Wise Health for Women Radio with Linda Prater. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Each week with intriguing guests and topics, we'll bring you fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging a shift to new, healthier perspectives. Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. And now here's your host, Linda Prater. Good morning and welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio. I'm Linda Crater and we have a wonderful guest today. Mark McManus is joining us, McComas, pardon me, is joining us today and we're going to discuss the changes that have come about in the last several years and not a gloom and doom approach at all to business and opportunity, but instead the creative opportunities, the functionalities that we pondered during almost we're entering our third year uh, after the pandemic. And I think that we are entering a new phase of how we look at the world. I think many ways we realized we didn't want to continue living the way that we were. And so changes have come and absolutely unheard of number of people have left their jobs, started their own businesses, and realized that they had opportunity. And they wanted to change their ways of doing things. And Mark is working with a company called Epic Pivots. He's obviously very instrumental in that company. And they have a wonderful culture. And it's just a different way of looking at things. And if I had to sum it up, I would say that building businesses and helping others build businesses that do good and do well, that's in quotes, it's not me with bad grammar, doing good and doing well is absolutely possible. So we're going to talk with Mark about that today. Welcome, Mark, to Why Sell Through Women Radio. Thank you so much, Linda. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you because I think that in many ways, um, I saw post-pandemic, let's call that the end of 2021, a lot of people who were very, very discouraged and weary and exhausted, and I think we all have felt that way at certain points, but I also saw a resurgence of energy and creativity and thinking that said, we've got to change the way we do. We need to transform what we do, which is a well-used word these days, but essentially take another look. And what says you have to do it the way you've always done it? Would you agree? I totally agree. It's it's almost like it was a, a giant global permission to mm-hmm. reconsider uh, the rules we've we've sort of intuitively, sometimes subconsciously lived by and felt that we had no power, no capability to reconsider, to kind of rewrite the story of what it means to be human, what it means to do business, what it means mm-hmm. to be uh, a parent or or a friend. But the opportunity that, that COVID brought along to reconsider some of these deep assumptions is kind of unprecedented. It is, I believe. And yet I think when many people are focusing on all we lost, I sit and say that intentional pause post-pandemic gives you the chance to change things. I know that families changed. They suddenly were eating at home together at the table, something that hadn't been done before. That's a very minor example, but it does show. I think people considered their value systems. Did they want to continue 
the corporate grind? Or if that was a good place for them, how could they change it to make it feel more balanced with their families or with their hobbies or with the things they loved? Because when so much was cut off from us, whether it was um, places to go, people to see, or, or even the opportunities to, to start new things, try new things, that felt constraining. But as the constraints came off or we found alternative ways to do things, I, I sense a growing energy and potential. 100%. Yeah, I, I, I've never felt more, uh, you know, I, I, in a way, responsibility uh, to, to be a generation that, that mm-hmm. would change some of these deep assumptions or, or ways of working or, or relating to one another so that our kids they can grow up in a, in a different world that is more balanced, a different world that is more human, uh, you know, where, where we are able to express more of, of the life that, that we feel called personally to live out. You know, there's, there's so much that just defines the past on, I, I have to, I had to, it's just, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I'm not able to do these other things. And, and it's just so, so constrained down to be painted into a corner with this tiny little fractional time and energy that I have left after I meet all my obligations, uh, you know, that, that I have spare to live my life. But I think the narrative is changing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not so much I have to, I must do these things. And it's not like we're saying, well, okay, yeah, work is out of the equation. No, work can be enjoyable. Work is honorable. You know, mm-hmm. the, the economy can be an incredible place of justice and of healing. And we all recognize we've got quite a ways to go, but but why not take this opportunity to start moving towards a, a way of doing business and way of doing life that's restorative as opposed to it extracts, 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 and then I just try and recover on the weekends or, you know, halfway through my life, I feel I need to, to be more philanthropic because I've never really uh, done anything positive to the world as I've gotten by in my job or whatever. I agree with you entirely. And I think that work is not only honorable, but it provides purpose and a structure and a satisfaction and a fulfillment. And that's one of the reasons people are taking a look at what their work was, what their work could be, and how to make it fit their value system. Because I think that If you know your foundational values, and not everyone does, I will insert that in there. Sometimes it requires some inward work to figure out what what really is important to me. We know we had the time to look during the pandemic, but I'm not certain that everyone did because that can be a very painful thing to do to become more self-aware. But if you fail to go within, you will go without And so those who chose to go within or to say, hmm, this teleworking thing is working, I want to keep it, you know, going forward, or I I really, I've been waiting to have my own opportunity, where do I go? So companies, large, small, and startup can all take a look, and Epic Pivots is all about that. That's right. Yeah, Epic Pivot. You know, we we have we all of us have been doing, uh, you know, the, the core competencies behind Epic Pivot for some mm-hmm. time. It wasn't so much about, you know, oh, we need a whole new skill set. It was really about where we aim it and what outcomes we we dream to see our our skill sets, capabilities, passions 
what outcomes we want to join together to affect, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in in a um, part of the our economic system that honestly is is the most critical part, which is our our mid market medium businesses. Mm-hmm. You know that that makes up about eighty percent of our GDP are those small to medium businesses. I know that the headlines are captured by by the gigantic the corporations. The five big ones. <laughs> That's right. But our GDP is on the backs of, of tens right. of thousands of small to medium-sized businesses. Right. And we really believe at Epic Pivot that, that if anyone has a chance to actually lead the charge, it is actually that size business, that entrepreneur, that leader, that man, that woman, that individual, that that is is taking responsibility for the way that they operate their business. They they are we're not leaving it to the government. We don't want to leave it to just hope the big companies create some alliance and we can just let them take care of it. We really believe that even though it's hard to see it in the media, the economy has always been driven mm-hmm. by those small to medium businesses by that 80 percent. Well, I also think then in America, we are used to a decentralized system. And during the pandemic, it became pretty obvious that we were starting to become very centralized. And I personally, as a serial entrepreneur, have a, 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 um, I don't even know the right word, an ambivalence toward um, the huge numbers of companies not the huge number of companies, but the huge companies that that tend to take over because as companies get too large, they become bureaucracies and they become mired, enmeshed with, we've always done it this way, or we're going to do it this way, follow me now or goodbye. Um, A lot of ultimatums, a lot of rules and a culture that doesn't speak to the individual gifts that people have that they can bring to the table. So collaboration it, it gets squashed in giant companies for the most part, whereas this middle group really has an opportunity right now to take a look at what they can contribute. And, and I would say even going all the way down to small solopreneurs, they really have a chance to do what both morally and successfully and fits their value system does that. And values are more than in integrity and trust and your work and respecting other people. It's a whole series of things that makes you you. And one thing we've also known is that, especially through the media these days, you really know what's authentic and what's not because if something isn't values based, we feel it. Or maybe that's just me. Is it just me? No, it is not just you. I've I've often said that that uh, I said this a long time ago. So you know, I said the emerging generation, but really, mm-hmm. the emerging generation is fully installed in the workforce. You know, as opposed <laughs> to ten years ago when I would say this often, I, I would say you know th- th- this emerging workforce has a better nose for inauthenticity, maybe mm-hmm. in the history of the world. And, and they don't even have to uh, objectively identify what is off, not needed. Just a little uh-huh. bit of a whiff of something that doesn't quite feel solid, doesn't quite feel like somebody means it or it's not authentic, and they just won't come around. And so you have these large corporations wondering, you know, wh- why are they having a hard time getting talent in the door? Mm-hmm. Why are they losing talent? Why are they going to these other companies? We offered them a bigger paycheck. 
I don't know why they're working so much in the nonprofit. And, and obviously, you and I see it very clearly as, as to a, a different set of intrinsic motivations that, that have become normative. And I would say it's no longer the emerging generation. It's more accurately that is, it is the current workforce in the West mm-hmm. feels this way. I agree with you. And uh, you know, I've been in the workforce a lot longer than you have, and I've seen a culture shift. But among entrepreneurs, and our, our audience is made up of a lot of entrepreneurs and mompreneurs and a, a variety of diverse backgrounds and educations and vocations. And it is fascinating to watch the commonality of the values-based foundations that the successful companies show. And remember, success is defined by each person differently. Yes? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the classic definition that, that we sort of uh, are trying to build out a broader definition is, is shareholder value. Mm-hmm. You know, ultimately, the only goal of a business is shareholder value. And, and what we want to tell the world is we are not proposing to do anything that would put you at odds with shareholder value. We mm-hmm. actually believe that pursuing purpose and those value sets and, and a, a more whole place to work, or mm-hmm. if you're an entrepreneur, a more whole lifestyle, we genuinely believe that it, it accomplishes even better those same historical business metrics. What made you come to this conclusion that it was time to really seize the reins and, and help these mid-sized companies and, and frankly, anyone who you know is looking for transformation that is values-based, builds on potential, works with culture, because culture is the hardest thing in the world to change. As a business owner, you have to either start and create the culture you want, but eventually you have to adapt that culture to what's happening in the workplace. And this seismic shift that just happened required adaptation. Absolutely. You know, the I have a part of my background is in large scale change management, and and there are some uh, solid principles that you learn about change when you are guiding uh, large companies or large organizations through really disorienting, upending, apple cart turning over change. And one of the things that you find out along the way is if there is a real precipice if there if there is some external force that is that is requiring or forcing change your chances of of getting actual movement to happen are a lot greater if mm-hmm. if it's really just things are going fine um but you know gee it'd be nice if we could uh, see these needle move these needles move here and there i'd like the culture to be a little better i'd like our processes to be a little bit more efficient uh, that the chance of successfully following through with a change at large scale goes way down if that's the scenario. And so when you ask the question, you know, why now? What 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 made us realize it was the time to make that jump? Because because I, I you know I I appreciate what you're implying there because it's true. This was always in us. This is mm-hmm. always the way that I viewed the world. And but the question was, when is the right time? to put a stake in the ground and say, this is our reason for being. And mm-hmm. we are now attaching our brand to it and our services to it fully aligned. And the reason is because if you look around, people are have come to that recognition 
that that we we just cannot continue in this course. Uh, there's a there's actually it comes from the change world out of about the 1950s. Mm-hmm. There is uh, this uh, guy named Dr. Gleischer. Dr. Gleischer came up with this uh, formula uh, for change, which essentially pools these three different things that have to be true all at once. The three things that have to be true are dissatisfaction with the current state. The next thing is a clear and compelling vision of a future state. Mm-hmm. But the third one is a path to get there. Mm. So uh, there's even a, a, a nerdy version of this that, that reduces <laughs> it down to an equation. And it says we have to have that D, dissatisfaction, multiplied by that V, vision, multiplied by that P, path. Mm-hmm. But what do we know about multiplication? If any one of those isn't <laughs> present, is a zero, Correct. The whole side zeroes out and is non-existent. A really uh, clear life example of this. Let's just take you know something that we're all always thinking about: our our fitness level. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I can look into the future and have a vision of what it would look like to be healthy. Uh, you know, I can I could picture myself with an eight pack and being able to run a marathon. No problem. <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah, I can imagine that. And and the P, the path. That's not rocket science. Mm-mm. I know I kind of need to change my diet a little bit. I know I need to change my sleeping habits a little bit. But, you know, until I go to the doctor and the doctor says, mayday, mayday, you've got to make a change, then that D jumps up. But if it's not there, I know the vision. I know the path. But I, yet I don't change because I don't have mm-hmm. all three. Mm-hmm. So when that dissatisfaction all of a sudden shows up to party, with with the V and the P, and we have all three being a non-zero, all three kind of at fever pitch, then the other side of the equation, resistance to change, gets overwhelmed easily, but it takes all three. And so what we see in the world around us is that dissatisfaction has, has reached a fever pitch, mm-hmm. and that the vision, we've been working on this vision for years and sort of our, our cultural consciousness of what does equity look like? What does economic justice mean? What, what, what does a global economy, economy implicate in terms of how I need to spend my dollar, who I need to elect and put in office? You know, I can't just say that my neighbor is the person next to my home. My neighbor, because of an interconnected world, is it, it, working in a factory halfway around the world because of my purchase decisions. Mm-hmm. So we understand that vision because we've been working on it. And so what are we lacking? We believe that how to do it practically, how do you engage into a clear path forward for for uh, your entrepreneurs, for small businesses, medium businesses, the people who we believe can make the real difference in our society. So Epic Pivot is really here to say, okay, it's time. We are going to supply a path that is practical, that is manageable, that is affordable, that we can all step into and take ownership for the visions that we want to see transpire. I see a receptivity to this by companies. I see a a willingness on the part of entrepreneurs, small business owners, mid-sized business owners, that they acknowledge that keeping a workforce these days is very different than it was 15, 20 years ago. I had a a fairly large company and I I sold it. And at the time I had to provide for closing, you know, what was your turnover? I paid them well. I worked them hard. They were highly respected and appreciated. I had a 3% turnover, 
which was unheard of. They said, no, calculate wow. that again. Well, it, I'm, I'm pleased by that. I don't mind telling you that I'm pleased by that. But it was made up of having respect for them, appreciation, recognition, paying them what they were worth, and trusting them to do the right thing. You, you did not get punished if you made a $200,000 mistake, and that's a real thing that happened. And then you gain more trust. So I, I think that we've many people have had these kinds of experiences that I'm explaining at some level or another, but they were reliant on someone else to make the decisions. I think the difference in an entrepreneurial setting is that the, the ball always comes back to you. So if you are making decisions that impact other people and you're respectful of them and trust them to do a good job and give them the authority and the permissions to do so, I think you will end up with a culture that stays. And I, I did not personally um, want to sell when I had to sell. It was a, a life event that caused that. But those things happen to you. So what do you do? You turn and change and you grow with that change. And I think that's what has happened to many people. Some people were forced out of the workforce in recent months or, or in the last two years. Some industries disappeared. Some are going to have to reimagine themselves completely in order to sustain as they go on. But I keep coming back to if you have a foundation of values, if you know what your values are, going forward becomes more clear cut. And you, you talk about our purchasing habits. I, I think I found myself trying to support local the more uh, the pandemic went on. Because I thought, uh, you know, we're getting a lot of power centralized in a few places. And I'm old enough to remember when they broke up AT&T and the phone system and monopolies were mm -hmm. a discussion thing. And you, you moved to the 10-digit, you know, area code with your phone number, that kind of thing. Actually, my sister's responsible for that. She worked at Verizon. <laughs> if you ever want to blame anyone, it started here in Baltimore. So at any rate, but I'm, I'm, I'm not really joking. Our, our purchasing habits, we have choices. And so often we think we don't have choices. But then we also have to make changes. Because if you do purchase from some of these larger entities, you have more selection, you have faster gratification That's when right. it comes to your door quicker. You you can do more, but there's a cost to that. And uh, I'm now a more conscious buyer and I do support more local, which I actually always have. But the more and more and more as we watched our supply chain go overseas, I think we realized during the pandemic how dependent that made us. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I resonate with so much you're saying, uh, you know, if, if I just look at the, the economic system that, that we are currently enrolled in right now, you know, it's, mm -hmm. we call it the free market economy, other, otherwise known as capitalism. You know, it, it, it was a response. It was a better way from what was the, the existing status quo of these, this collusion between 
governments and these giant, you know, government supported monopolies that took yes. care of the global trade routes and everybody else was just kind of left just yes. whatever, whatever they were told they were going to get paid, whether it was nothing or, okay, I guess we'll just try to make this work. And, you know, it, it, we, we even go back to, you know, the, the, the classic by Adam Smith, you know, the wealth of nations he proposed. Mm -hmm. What if we let each person, each person pursue their own wealth by their own means. Look, look what has to happen. They, they have to get along. They have to, they have to employ people who also are pursuing their own, you know, well-being. And, and it all, instead of, instead of having one man be king, make every man king, make every woman queen, and let everyone be an authority mm. figure. And then it kind of has to be just. Now, I don't have rose-colored glasses on. I fully recognize that that is an ideal and we still have many of the challenges that existed before the dawn of capitalism, <laughs> uh, bureaucracies and, and, you know, we have things to try to break up monopolies, but, but ultimately it, the, the system, the economic system of capitalism, it doesn't have a, a moral direction. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just a reflection of, of wherever the consciousness of the people who are operating in that system have at a given time and how they spend their money and, and what they allow to happen and, and how they, how they consolidate their power and leverage their voice, which now, mm -hmm. to be honest, is more possible than ever. That's one of the reasons we've seen kind of a quantum leap and change even before the pandemic is really because of the age of information, because of tools like social media, Web 2.0, where now it's not that hard. You know, you remember probably, uh, you know, snail mail boycotts. You know, we had to get the, get the word around that we don't like how I this corporation- I forgot about that until you mentioned it. <laughs> Right, and it then email didn't make boycotts. Much of an impact on me. Right, uh, and now it's Twitter, and it can happen in seconds. It can it's literally a bit happen. Scary sometimes. It is. I I want to insert one thought, and we're coming on a break, and then we'll continue it after the break. So don't feel like you need to stuff it in right now. I personally believe that some of the cultural changes where we rely on celebrities and influencers to to change our opinions on things, um, has brought what, when I was growing up, was called conspicuous consumption. And mm -hmm. I remember my mother just saying, you know, uh, that's that's not a good thing. And in my, my now phrase that I use is, a lion doesn't have to tell you it's a lion. So conspicuous consumption is, is really unattractive to me personally. That's just a personal opinion. But there is a psychology behind this for advertising and marketing, and it's clearly been very, very effective. Influencers and social media can make you buy, and I use those terms very clearly, sure. make you buy something that you didn't even know you needed. <laughs> yes, that is that is kind of the promise of advertising is to is to grow, you know, grow market share by by connecting somebody's inner motivations, uh, fears, hopes, self-image issues with your product, so that mm -hmm. so that oh, I can spend to alleviate, you know, this situation. We we did see that. We saw sort of a hook, line, and sinker mm -hmm. in the age of of conspicuous consumption. That that acquiring things can can make me feel better. Can can make my my life experience what i dream for it to be and you know to be frank the illusion is over 
Yes. Yes. I, I think one thing that has become patently clear is that stuff doesn't make you happy. And there's been a lot, of, there were a lot of people who had time now to clear out closets, to give things away. Um, and we realized that stuff doesn't make you happy. And I will throw out a controversial term before we go on break. I don't believe that money makes you happy. I think that, that it gives you choices and freedom. And so when we come back, let's talk about how success can bring you personal and professional freedom and still follow your values to do good and to do well. We'll be right back. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits. Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do? During an Uncover Your Hidden Genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose, passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. Help me, TogiNet. You're my only hope. I want to start a podcast, but I simply don't have time. How do I take care of the details, editing, contacting guests? Where do I put it so that people can listen in? Fear not. The podcasting wizards here at TogiNet can take care of all of the details because we provide full-service podcasting for all of our hosts so that you can focus on your message. We even build you a webpage that you can edit, and we send your podcast out to Spotify and iTunes so that your message is easy to find. Wow, you can do all of that? You've magically cured my anxiety. Where do I sign up? You can find all of our packages on our website, toginet.com. That's T-O-G-I-N-E-T.com. If you would like to talk to one of us, call us at 903-787-5880 or email us at staff at toginetradio.com. Welcome back. I'm Linda Crater. You're listening to Mark McComas today. And we are we were talking on the break about the fact that it's interesting how you change what your definition of success is in your life phases. So you go through the driver years where you try and climb a ladder. And then you often get to another point where you've some people I know, I know a lot of these people who have achieved what they thought would take them longer to achieve, but due to circumstances, hard work, diligence, persistence, have achieved it early, but now they're lost. What is their purpose? They're bored. They don't know what will challenge them next. And I would venture to say that challenges are important to maintain throughout your work life because otherwise 
Boredom leads to some really bad habits that can lead to some midlife crises. And it, the self-awareness needs to stay intact as you go through the phases of your life. Does that resonate with you at all? It definitely does. You know, I, I think one of the challenges is when we get installed into our, our different paths of life, we're usually pretty young mm-hmm. and, and maybe not asking some of these questions. And then before you know it, you're just so busy that that all you can ever really do is is try and and put out the fires and keep delivering on on your commitments, your responsibilities, your deadlines, mm-hmm. try and make some friends along the way, you know, keep keep some keep relationships, friends. keep friends. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and and then all of a sudden it's been X many decades right. or or years and and something causes you to lift your head up and say, wait a second, when did I when did I sign up for this? I I I, I always thought maybe I would reconsider or I would only be doing this for you know two or three years, but mm-hmm. now all of a sudden life has zoomed past me, and I look around and I'm not so sure this is what I want going forward. And that's kind of that crisis moment. Yes. Well, and that's where work gives us purpose and structure. And I I feel it very strongly. I think that a lot of us find our identities in our work, whether that is being a stay-at-home mother, whether it is being working outside the home, whether it is homeschooling, whatever it is, uh, working in the corporate environment. I know many, many successful men and women who have achieved everything they thought they would achieve, but circumstances have changed or they have changed. And so I come back to, I believe that your idea of what is a successful, sustainable life experience changes over your lifespan. And so in order to keep people in positions or keep yourself running your company, taking a a look inward every once in a while or periodically or routinely is important to keep yourself on track. You don't want to look back and say, oh, there was that time when I could have done X, but now due to circumstances, I can't. I think the one thing in life I do repeat to myself as a mantra is, if not now, when? Mm. Yes, those those are great words to remember. (laughs) You know, I, I... I'm I'm pretty passionate about uh, about purpose, and I often call it identity, uh, because mm-hmm. anytime someone associates their identity deeply with a situation that is essentially revocable, mm-hmm. it is changeable. That is a precarious scenario. Uh, what Correct. happens when when that situation changes or is is taken from you, or for whatever reason is no longer your situation? There can be so many reasons. What happens? You know, is there a way to not go into the into this this deep disorienting unknowing? Now, now, don't get me wrong. It's always going to happen to some degree. If you've even if you have this deeply rooted purpose and identity that mm-hmm. is that is irrevocable and outside of of the situation you're in, you're still going to go through some disorientation. Well, if there's you some grief. That. And, yeah, and some, some grief, grief that has to occur to to make you come out on the other side. But those that are resilient uh, come out with new ideas. Yes. I, I think you're familiar with my Durable People Thrive masterclasses and things. And mm-hmm. I, I do believe 
that durable people thrive and that you can gain from the adverse experiences more than you gain from all the kudos and the positives. We need a mixture of both. We need the attaboys and we also need, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And I, I firmly believe in lifelong learning. And those that I see emerging post-pandemic with new thoughts, ideas, directions, took the opportunity to, to look inside and research and read and, and look into things. I think we all know people who became day traders or yep. those who, you know, got research or took online classes in an area of interest so that when they came out, they would have either a side gig that they could move to a, to a real job uh, or, you know, they, they just learned things for their own personal growth. And I think those that personally grow themselves and take that time usually have a very optimistic point of view. And that's that's a benefit. Yes, it is. Yes. And, and we've just gone through a season and, and are still, although it's, it feels like we are emerging, I, I agree with you, Slowly. the optimistic view that, you know, I'm, I'm optimistically saying we're, we're post COVID. Um, it's know, still I, an endemic. We have it, to live that's right. with it. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, you know, but uh, you know, there's, there's this sense of transition, um, that almost everybody went through all at once, which, mm-hmm. you know, transition always is initiated, uh, by some kind of external externality. That's just yes. how transition works. But but it immediately goes inward if you let it. <laughs> and so, you know, the next question is, oh, well, goodness, there's this disorientation. The rules of the past are not necessarily the rules of the future. And I'm in this, I'm in this uh, limbo for now. Uh, I, I like the research of uh, Dr. Robert Clinton that kind of compares it to a clock. As, mm-hmm. as you go through the stages of transition, uh, first there's disorientation, which is you know, who am I? Why am I here? Uh, you're sort of dealing with the aspects of of normalcy that have been removed, the grief, as well as any aspects of identity that were attached to a previous paradigm, mm-hmm. you know, sort of inevitably paying that price, but but quickly moving from disorientation, disorientation into reorientation. Okay, yes. well, I have an opportunity here. And that would be my message, you know, to 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 your listeners and to the world right now is don't let anyone tell you that you don't have an opportunity right now. It is never too late. You're, the world will tell you that you are firmly installed into a reality that you have no power to change, but you absolutely do. And this may be the best moment for the last several generations mm-hmm. to ask those questions. And to be honest, it's you all know, we know these, the, what we do with these decisions, with this opportunity right now, this this pregnant moment in history mm-hmm. does not just affect our lifetime. This no. will last for generations. So as my motivation for my children is, is to have a better life than mine, isn't that the motivation of every parent? I'm thinking about how we make these next few steps into an unformed and forming new reality. Mm-hmm. What What would they be glad we did? I agree with you. Here's my question for you, though. I have children and grandchildren. They're very young. The grandchildren are very young. There are some that look at at what you're saying and agree with it 100%. There are others who are still living in, I'll call it the fear mentality. I'm afraid to venture forth. I'm not certain of what's coming next. 
there is not that sense of optimism. There is more a sense of fatalism. And, you know, I, I try and work with people like that on a coaching or training um, method because I, I really believe that some people after this experience really suffered and really need help yes. coming out the other side. And so re-entering post-pandemic into the endemic, into this new world that we've got, is not the same for everyone. While we went through the same storm, you've seen the quote, you know, we went through it differently. Some were on, you know, airtight boats and some had pool noodles under their arms. Yep. And so it really is a very different experience for everyone. And and I honor that in people because there were many places I was very glad I wasn't and many things that I was grateful for. And if I had to name one attribute that I think will help everyone going forward, it would be that sense of gratitude for what we do have. Mm. Yes. You know, if I were to say one major kind of sea change, almost on a sociological level that I think is happening slowly, mm-hmm. is we have been living so hyper-individualistically. Yes. And while there are such good aspects of that, where people get to flourish in, in, in their own unique eccentric ways, that's the good part. The bad part is huh. you can see it when, when people live as a village, when they do things together, uh, there, there's this, this synergy comes out of it when, yes. when, when there's generational connection, when there's, when there's families pooling together to support one another, you know, everyone knows your, your community of friends or your bubble through, through the pandemic, if you had one was so critical and that we really do not thrive alone. Uh, and I have been a solopreneur at many points in my life and I found it so critical to be even more intentional with my community because I was taking something on in the, in the business world, essentially alone. And I I think, I think one of the things we're opting out of is, is, is hyper individualism. And so for, for people who experienced this last season so differently, I think, I think we feel, we all feel that together, uh, the grief, the opportunity, the hope, the fear we all feel every aspect of that. I, I, you know, though I am a optimist, you know, I, I, I feel the full weight mm-hmm. of this last season and experienced loss of my own. And so I feel we are, we are choosing to come together and, and operate because I've found that some of those, uh, more realist, uh, mm-hmm. archetypes, I need them desperately as I dream, as I move forward, as I consider the practical implications, without them, I'm in trouble. And maybe they're in trouble without me. And so I really just yearn to see a world, a culture, if you will, this is why culture is so important to us in a business sense, as well as just in society, is to see what does it look like to be interdependent? What does it look like to recognize that members of our human body are grieving? and members of our human body are excelling, how do we come together in a way mm-hmm. that, that promotes one another wherever you are in this process? Are you familiar with the book Big Potential by Sean Acor? I'm not. It's saying exactly what you're saying. Sean Acor is a positive psychology um, 
PhD who works with corporations, etc., and is is saying that we have a culture that is the highly individualistic, etc. But look how much more we can do together. So there's small potential, which is individuals being successful on their own, and then there's big potential. And I, I found it to be extremely helpful because, as you said, I've been a solopreneur you know, many times myself, and I need these kinds of inspirational uh, thoughts to, to perhaps voice it in a way that I hadn't been able to voice it, but I highly recommend the book. And it's, it's very interesting because as people fell into bad habits, uh, perhaps alcohol, addiction, um, a series of bad choices, they, your mental health tumbles, but you can bring it back with good steps toward being together, building your structure with other people. And, and that's what big potential doesn't talk about mental health per se, mm-hmm. but it's basically talking about how much more we can do together. You, you've heard the thing, you know, uh, teamwork makes the dream work and it does. And so it's very interesting who we align ourselves with as well, yes. because we are indeed influenced by the five people we're around the most. That's right. That's right. I also love the quote, uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want right. to go far, go together. Exactly. You know, it reminds me of a book that I really appreciated called uh, Wickonomics. Yes. Uh, it's by Dan Tapscott, Anthony Williams, you know, mm-hmm. it, and the idea is, inst- you know, instead of a, a new Encyclopedia Britannica, where we get a few experts in a room and they pen this whole book, what if we turn it over to the people? How much yes. more of our of our you know institutional or cultural knowledge could we capture if we let everybody edit the encyclopedia? Of course, there was a collective gasp, you know, <laughs> when that was recommended. What do you mean? That risks everything to let everybody define our our terms, our reality, our history, you know, our our future. Yes, that's exactly what we're proposing, and that but is the future risk that we see. Part of life. That's right. And there's calculated risk, and then there's reckless risk. There's mm-hmm. there, those two are completely different things. But if we make choices to to open our ears and our hearts to different ideas, it's so interesting to me that whenever I've been in groups where there's a lot of energy, the energy grows as ideas are thrown out, where ego is put aside, where there is. Um, and understanding that things are better. I recently edited uh, three novels and I was astounded the first time I was pretty careful with the author because you just don't know how much ego is involved. The second time I was more direct. And by the time I got to the third one, I said, you just fizzled here and it's time to rewrite this paragraph. And when you work with people that way and build the trust and the culture, et cetera, what came out were three amazing books and I didn't write them. I simply edited them, but that's an example of collaboration with just two people. And imagine if you do that on a larger scale, which is what you're doing. Absolutely. Yes. You know, the, the, the thing that I I think can, can really harm us as we move into this is, is, uh, what do you make of where you have been mm-hmm. and and this ugly nasty thing that that I think we've gotten better at detecting comes in called mm-hmm. shame 
mm. and 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 sort and of responsibility. Stands and yes, that's right. There's just the the weight. Um, but the, I, I see it again, maybe more optimistically. I see this all as kind of a, a, a grand coming of the ages. We have learned as a as a society, as individuals, as parents, we we know so much more just collectively than honestly the world knew 500 years ago. We mm-hmm. have we have experts in child you know psychology and early development. We have experts in mental health. We have access to this information we didn't have access before. There is no shame. There is no pointing of fingers. Uh, that there there are things that need to change. And there are people that that need to take responsibility. For instance, we each need to take responsibility ourselves mm-hmm. for our families, for for the things that we are in authority over. But it sure. just doesn't do anyone any good to 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 engage in kind of a time wasting referendum on the past or or on yourself. It only is helpful to be constructive and move forward. And as as patterns or or thought processes or things emerge as obstacles as you're moving forward, yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's let's understand why that's there and and the healing that's needed to move forward. But it, it, you know, too often it devolves, especially on a political level, to finger pointing. And I just Ugh. see that the the population that cares the least about that are the ones that Epic Pivot cares the most about. Let's just move forward together and let's create a new reality for us and right. the world for children. Well, it's interesting. I remember the first time I heard you know finger pointing. That simply means one finger points at the other person and right. three point back at yourself. That's right. And one thing I would say that I'm I'm hoping that is adopted as we go forward is that instead of commenting immediately or responding or <laughs> what happens more these days is reacting, but let's take a step back. Let's ask people questions. Interesting. Why do you think that? Where did you find that information? I'm really interested in that perspective. I I think dialogues are sometimes hard to find right now. And it depends on who you're talking with. And you can't always surround yourself with people who are open to answering these questions or having debates. Um, I wish they still taught debate in high school. Mm -hmm. Because when we had debate class, we argued on one side of the room about a certain topic, and then we moved to the other side. Do you remember those days? And they don't teach that any longer. So we learned the art of persuasive speech. We learned the other viewpoint has merit. And it, it was interesting. It wasn't just polarizing. And I find that to be kind of a a problem. Switching it to it, I, Don't you think? I do. I do think so. I, I think the, the predominant reason uh, that, that it's so difficult to have those conversations today is it requires a level of safety. It requires mm. a level of say uh, that I can talk about an idea or an opinion or perspective that, you know what, maybe you have a better one. And, you know, I reserve the right to change my mind later. That's just because mm-hmm. it's so wrapped up in in, in polarization right now. There's yes. just a, a resounding sense of it's not safe for me to even, uh, you know, process this with someone else. And and in that debate class that that I also had in high school, there was an authority figure in the room that set the rules and said, hey, mm-hmm. guys, this is how this is going to be. They created a safe environment. They I do did. think that's one thing that we lack. And I would encourage anyone who feels that they have the capability, uh, the calling, if you will, to create those safe spaces. It is needed now more than ever. I agree. And I think the other thing that I would love people to encourage, because I think people have this 
each to a certain degree may not be fully developed, but I know that your colleague Tabitha and I both possess really strong intuition and mm-hmm. we trust our intuition. And the, the more you pay attention to those twinges or nudges, um, the more developed you become at trusting what it's telling you because our bodies will respond to what we're hearing just as much as our ears will. And so it's it's pretty interesting to me to trust your intuition. And when there seems to be a deeper reason for the resistance or the lack of discussion, there probably is. Mm. So ferreting out those questions gently, civilly, uh, with respect and candor, it, it, it has to be a learned communication skill. And I, I fear that the one thing that is going to take a little time to come back are some of the the ways and methods that we talk to one another and a a nurturing, accepting uh, tone of voice, Mm -hmm. facial expressions, even if you're still behind a a mask in places, I I think is more important because let's face it, it was difficult to communicate behind masks. You had only half a face to look at. (laughs) And well, seriously. And so I find that um, trusting your intuition, knowing that, okay, that person is unhappy, but it isn't about me. I didn't cause that. Something else must be bothering them. And I think having compassion for the other person really maybe will open the door with more opportunity than if you grill them. Yes, yes. And, and you know, you in order to approach someone like that in that state of mind, this, this harkens back to something we were talking about earlier there, there's a certain amount of 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 pre-work uh, to mm-hmm. be to be well to to come into that uh, with Cold. enough with enough internal supply to extend that grace to someone. Yes. To not be okay, or to maybe to say something harsh or 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 not in the right language. But if you're on edge yourself, it's hard to play that role to be that uh, unanxious presence in yes. the room. And so that's that's where this introspection. Which you know, I I, I have uh, you know the the belief that there I mentioned it forward. In so much as it is moving forward, I think you can get lost in there, mm-hmm. and I think much of the culture is kind of encouraging you to really just figure out what's wrong about you and kind of cope with it and live live by it. You know, by and, yourself. And just, yeah, by yourself, and just make sure you don't go into situations that trigger this or trigger that. You know, when when really it it is an it's an iterative process. You're not going to figure yourself out. It's really just <laughs> about do I do I understand that that I can enter into a situation and sort of not be threatened by what this other person says. Am I in an okay place right now? Do I feel whole to mm-hmm. where I can engage and extend someone else? Honestly, the the, the service, the mm-hmm. sacrifice of allowing them to maybe not be there. Mm-hmm. You know, am I grounded enough to enter into this situation, this conversation? Maybe it's with my spouse. Maybe it's with a child. Maybe it's with a business partner or a client. Can I enter into this situation unanxious? And And if not, why? And do I have a friend that I can process that with to see if I can get to a better place before I engage because I don't want to bring an anxiety into the room or or something that is 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 not going to help us reach the outcome we desire? Absolutely. I've, I've often heard it said that communication is like a dance. And if you're dancing with someone and you're stepping on toes and it, you're bumping into one another, it's time to either change the dance 
pay attention to the steps and dance with the other person or find another dance and, and learn what works with you so that you can adapt and communicate well. I want to make sure that people know where to find out more about you, your team, and Epic Pivot. And the URL to go to for that, and I will post this in the show notes, is epicpivot.com. That's E-P-I-C, pivot, P-I-V-O-T, dot com. And as you can tell, Mark has given this a great deal of thought. Tabitha Scott, who has been on with us twice before, has, is also part of this venture. And I, I'm just so pleased to be able to share this with you all because we are at a transformational spot in history. And let's make it a good one. What would you like to add, Mark? I completely agree. It's an unprecedented opportunity, and we kind of get to set a new precedent. And, and while, while this may sound, you know, a very optimistic conversation, it is genuinely how I feel. And I believe mm-hmm. viewing the world that way can help us navigate to a new path together. Well, how we view the world makes a huge difference in the outcomes that we achieve within that world and within our circle and with those beyond our circle. And I think we have a responsibility to lift the world as opposed to bring it down. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for sharing with thank us you. today. I, I love the the way we took a look at the good, the bad, and the ugly of what has occurred over the last couple of years. But I think we both view it with opportunity and potential. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you for joining us on Wise Health for Women Radio. I'm Linda Crater, and we'll talk again next week. Make it a wonderful rest of the week. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com.